Well, we are going to be having communion tonight. So if you're at home, you got time, go get the crackers, go get the grape juice out. You can have communion with us. Um, we're going to, I'm going to be reading from Matthew. If you're looking to read with me, I'll be in Matthew chapter 26 for communion. Let's go before the Lord and pray as we open up our time together. Lord, thank you. And we want to spend this evening just remembering you, being obedient to your commandments, Lord. Giving you all of the praise and the glory for that which you have accomplished on the cross and in rising from the grave, Lord. And so we lift this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. While the ushers and elders are passing the cup, we'll be reading in Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26, verse 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. He took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new from you in my Father's kingdom. And since that meal, since that time together, we have year after year, century after century, millennia after millennia, been obedient to his request that we take this cup and that we take this uh, bread, and we re are reminding ourselves and remembering the work that he has accomplished on the cross. Because we are not saved by works, we are saved by faith, lest any man should boast. So if you would peel the top with me. As we pray and partake together, of this bread, we remember what Jesus said, that it was a representation of his body that was broken and bruised for us, and that it, the Lord was pleased in bruising him for our salvation, it tells us in the book of Isaiah. So let's take this moment and partake together. Lord Jesus, we do want to thank you for your sacrifice, your work on the cross. We know that we have no part of it other than to accept it by faith. And so we give you this evening, we give you this token in this moment, Lord, and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake. When you think about this cup, the fruit of the vine, obviously we think about the Lord, his blood that was shed for us. But have you ever thought about what it is to drink from the same cup, literally drink from the same cup of the Lord? The Messiah, the King of the universe, the Alpha, the Omega, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb slain from the foundations of the world, would pass this cup to you and say, drink, this is, this is my blood, which is shed for you. And so we have this moment where we can identify with that time, and we know that he's not here with us in body, but he says where two or more are gathered, he is there in the midst. 
But we also know from this promise in verse 29, but I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Today we are going to drink this together in fellowship with him and thankfulness for the blood that is shed. But in the future, you will drink this cup with him in his presence. Let's meditate on that and give thanks. Let's go before the Lord. Father, we, we, don't, we can't even express in words, Lord, what it is to have fellowship with you in your presence, to feel your touch, to be handed this cup. Knowing that our salvation here is through your blood and your work on the cross, Lord, but also that through that work on the cross, we will truly be in your presence and partake it with you in the kingdom. Lord, help us to realize these things as we remember you in partaking. In Jesus' name, amen. And let's partake together. You are saved, not by works, lest any man should boast. By simply believing in your heart and believing the Lord Jesus, following him and being filled with your Holy Spirit, you shall be saved. And he has done the work, and that work is completed. And so... It's in that knowledge that we get to continue our time together in the reading and teaching of his word. So let's open to Joshua chapter 6. <clears throat> Find the right part of the Bible. And our closing prayer is going to be our opening prayer of our chapter. Lord, we thank you so much. And I love how from worship to communion to the reading of your word to prayers, Lord, and then fellowship. Our time with you just flows into one time and into another. But we know that you lead us and you direct us, Lord. We know that you are our pastor. You are our high priest. You are our teacher, our mentor. And yet you even call us your friend, even though you are far greater than that. Fellowship with you, Lord, is just, it is the purpose of our, our being, our creation, Lord, to please you. And so I pray that you would continue to lead us and direct us as we receive from your word this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, if you've ever been in the children's ministry or the youth ministry, you have heard the story that we are going to talk about tonight with the walls of Jericho. But what does that mean for the nation of Israel historically? What does it mean for us in terms of, of warfare and strategies and nations? And then, of course, what does that mean for you and me? You're not going to go around your workplace or your marriage and walk around several times and then blow a trumpet and then expect the Lord to fix anything. So why in the world did God tell them to do that then? Well, we're going to talk about all these things. Uh, we've already opened in prayer. So let's read verses 1 through 5 as remember the commander of the host of the army of the Lord is now speaking to Joshua, and he's got a plan. Chapter 6, verse 1. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and it the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. 
And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priest shall blow the trumpets. <coughs> it shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up every man straight before him. Oh, come on, let's be real. This is the most ridiculous strategy ever in the history of mankind. I, I have assembled this giant army. We have made you a nation of slaves. You have had victory in battle and hand-to-hand -hand combat all the way from Egypt, all the way into the promised land. I've supernaturally preserved you. In the past, I've had rocks coming out of the ground, out of the sky, flaming rocks. I have covered a whole area in darkness. I've had frogs and lice. I've had Moses' hands up in battle. But today, today's strategy is you're going to walk around quietly. And then after a few days, I want you to walk around seven times and yell real loud with some trumpets. And all the walls are going to fall down. This is silliness. This is obscene. I don't want your armies to be armed. I don't want your generals to make a plan. I don't want you to separate provisions, no siege equipment, nothing. I want you to walk around with a bunch of priests and do nothing but what I say. This, this strategy can be used nowhere, nowhere and be successful. And yet it was. And yet it was. And we're going to apply this on multiple levels. But the most important thing about this entire chapter is who is speaking. We know that from the previous chapter, this is a theophany. This is our Lord Jesus speaking. He is the commander, and he says this is the instructions. And so we, on the other side of history, reading this chapter, knowing this story, would say, well, of course, don't you know the walls of Jericho are going to come down? But before this miracle, would you be obedient to it? I tell you now, unless the Lord Jesus told me himself, there's no way I would even follow this. I would say, you know what the Lord really meant by this? What he really meant is he wants our army to be in siege warfare for seven months. That's a much more practical application of his message. Is that what the Lord meant? No, he wants them to walk around with no weapons a single time a day, silently. And on the seventh day, he wants them to go seven times and shout. That's what he wants. He wants a literal interpretation. But I'd be like, no, nope, that ain't going to work. That's not what the Lord means. For the nation of Israel, they're going to learn something here, and we are going to learn something to, for as well. First off, we need to see what is the promise here. You say, well, he just gave some instru instructions. The very first four words of the Lord's command there in, in verse 2 says, See, look, I have given. That's it. It's past tense. I have given. It's done. It's over. You, I've already gone ahead. Back in the day, we had newspapers, right? And you had to print it the day before. He said, I've go ahead and I've already printed the paper. 
Now, for you real history nerds here, and for my crowd that maybe has a little bit of history, you might remember Truman had those newspapers up because they had printed that he was going to lose, but he won the presidency. Well, this is the same thing. This is history in advance, except it already says printed in the paper, God delivers Jericho before those walls even fall down. So Israel has to walk by faith. Now, of course, we're going to make a personal application, right? What victories does the Bible say you have? What victories does he have in your personal life where he has told you from his word? This is God himself from his word says you have victory over sin, death, the devil, over addiction. You have victory over anxiety. You have victory over sin, death, and the devil. You have victory in your marriage. You have victory in your soul. You have, you have hope. You have joy. You have peace. You have mercy. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the gifts of the Spirit. You have, you have all these blessed promises, and then you do what maybe I would have done if I were in Israel. Well, what he really meant to say is this. He doesn't mean, the Lord doesn't mean that if I just have faith in him, read the Bible and filled with the Holy Spirit that I can be, I can overcome addiction. He doesn't really mean that I can have victory in my marriage or in my mind. What he's really trying to say is that if I go through therapy, if I go through all the motions and I change my body and I do this and I do that and I do these more practical steps, then this all, all these things will work out. No, that's, unless that's the application from the scripture, we should believe what he says and do it with the earnest expectation that when he says you are delivered, you are delivered. When he says he's filled you with the Holy Spirit, he has filled you with the Holy Spirit. When he says he is all joy, when he says he is hope, then we have that. When he says we have peace with God, that means we have peace with God. That doesn't mean you will one day attain peace with God through a mountain of prayer and fellowship and good Bible teaching and good attendance. Don't forget tithing. You know, you got to tithe real well, too. No, he says you have peace with God through faith. And when he says the victory is done on the cross, when Jesus said it is finished, did he mean it was finished? Or did he mean something else? No, we need to apply the word of God. I've shared this before. I'll share it again. How different would my life be if I just heard what the Bible says and I immediately applied it? Just did what it said. If, when it came to finances, when it came to raising my kids, when it came to my marriage, when it came to my work ethic, when it came to my honesty and my integrity, when it came to denying the flesh and picking up the cross and following after him. If I just obeyed the word of God, how different would my life be? And then, of course, how different would yours be if we simply received the instructions of God and walked through them the way that he told us without compromise? I tell you, a, wall, a lot more walls would be coming down. A lot, more, a lot more walls would be coming down. I don't think that's good English, but I'm glad you guys know how to interpret. I already said you're filled with the Holy Spirit. The Lord must have given you the spirit of interpretation. Well, let's read verses 6 through 14. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Proceed and march around the city, and let him who is armed advance before the ark of the Lord. 
So it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpet, and the rear guard came after the ark, while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. Now Joshua had commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, Shout, then you shall shout. So he had the ark of the Lord circle the city, going around it once. And they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. Then seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew the trumpets. And the armed men went before them, but the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord, while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did six days. Now let's point out a couple of different things here. Number one, Joshua is a real leader. He has received a word from the Lord, no matter how ridiculous. He doesn't change it, alter it, interpret it. He simply disseminates it. Hey, priests, get together. This is what's going on. This is what's happening. Now, how impactful do you think that meeting is? You know, that he was just out there walking by himself, which remember last week, this is just ridiculous. The leader, the commander in chief of the entire nation of Israel off by himself with no guards, just thinking, I guess, talking to the Lord. And then all of a sudden this guy shows up. Remember, he, inter he uh, interrogates him. Are you for us or against us? Man, Joshua's a tough guy. Like, oh, are you against us? I hope you're against us. Let's do something here. But what was the answer? No, I am the commander. But he immediately identifies that he is the Lord. Bow down, worship him, receives this instruction, goes right back to the camp and gives the instructions. I, I can't, as a, as a spiritual leader myself, I can't tell you how much this impresses me. I would be back out there in the hill, like, come back. Come back. Can't you just lead us? Can't you just come with us? Can't. I just want to hang out with you. Lord, I don't even want Jericho. Can I just follow you? But he is given the simple instructions and he obeys it, just like Saul of Tarsus in the New Testament. Remember how Saul of Tarsus went from the persecutor to the persecuted. And he instantly, knowing that it's the Lord, says, Where do you, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? I tell you that this is one of the key signs that somebody has had a real experience with the Lord. When they simply say afterwards, what does he want me to do? I want to do it. Where does he want me? Where do you want me to put, where do you want to put me? Oh, oh, this is ridiculous. Oh, you want me to uh, mop the parking lot in the middle of the night? I don't care. If the Lord, the Lord told me to serve, I'm ready to serve. Uh, you want me to... Uh, be an elder on a board for a pastor that's 28 years old when I've run companies. Hey, whatever you want to do, Lord, I'm in. It doesn't make any sense to me, but walls will be coming down. Um, I've, yeah, planted multiple churches, but you want me to come under this younger whippersnapper? All right, Lord, whatever you want to do, let's do it. Yeah, I, I just came to faith in Christ, and I'm going to come to this place that's not even a church next to a hardware store. Yep, Lord, whatever you want to do, I'm willing to do it. You, you see, 
the ridiculousness of some of it, but when you have a real experience with the commander himself, you just want to do it. You just you don't even think twice. Let's go around. Trumpets? Okay. Seven times, one time. Notice there's no discussion here. Well, well, you know, um, maybe if we walked around 70 times, it would be 70 times as good. No, the Lord said one time silently, and then on the last day, seven times, and then loud at the end. That's You just do what he says. Well, what if we just change the arrangement a little bit? No. Whatever the Bible says, whatever the word of God is, just do that. Remember how we started off this whole section. He's already given the city. All you have to do is what he says. And all these things show us our sinful nature, our fallen nature, that we want to rebel. We want to say no. Spiritually speaking, many of us are still that adolescent teenager talking back to your parents just for the sake of talking back to them. Now, those of us that are not teenagers are almost teenagers in this room. Is there anything more childish than watching a person demand, a young person demand they be treated like an adult while they're stomping up and down, nodding their head, wagging their finger, haven't paid a day's rent, haven't paid for a single thing in their life, never worked a day, demanding they be treated like an adult? Is there anything more childish? Why do we do that to the Lord? Why do we do that to the commander? Why do we do that to the king? Lord, explain it to me first. Lord, teach me first. Or you could show real maturity, which is whatever you say, whatever you say. So the question in, for the nation of Israel is, what is God teaching them? Why did he tell them to do this? He could have just rained down destruction like Sodom and Gomorrah, wiped Jericho off the face of the earth. He could have had 10 plagues really show his power to the enemies of Israel there. Why did he ask the nation of Israel to go through this charade? I mean, what power is this in a box walking around this monstrosity, this fortress? There is no scientific, strategic, any stretch of the imagination, logical reason to do this. To teach them obedience, to teach them faith, to teach them the power of God. I, in my flesh, cannot stand this strategy. Imagine, I know I do, I put myself there and I put myself there, of course, in my imagination, I'm a mighty man of God. I'm a warrior for the Lord, right? Because, you know, I'm an old school guy. And I put myself there as a soldier who's been trained. Maybe I'm a combat veteran. Maybe I've gone through a, through a few scraps. I'm like, Lord, give me the banner. I'll, I'll go to the top of that wall for you. But the Lord says, nope. Nope, we're going to follow the priests and walk around. And I want you to be quiet. I don't want you to say a thing. But Lord, I got plans. I got strategies. I've been training. I got my push-ups. I've been doing my sharpening my swords. I'm ready to go do this. Let me show you my skills. The Lord says, or we could do it my way. And so he's teaching the nation of Israel just to be obedient and to obey and to show faith and to be quiet. I find that I am far more successful 
not just as a leader, not just as a man, but as a human being, I am far more successful when I just sit at the feet of the Lord and I keep my mouth shut and I just receive and then I just obey. I don't like those times and maybe you're in a season right now where you're being told to just sit and to be quiet and to be humble and to obey. I tell you now, if you're walking with the Lord, you will be far more successful, far more content. You'll take many more fortresses that the enemy has set up. These strongholds of the enemy, the Bible calls them. If you let the Lord do the work. Let the Lord do the work. And then one day, one day there'll be a furry, a furry of a of activity, a flurry, that's the word I'm looking for, a flurry of activity. Seven times they got to go around, and now they're shouting. And then what happens next? If you don't know the story, you're in for a shocker, but I doubt it. I think you kind of all know, right? Verses 15 through 21. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, on that day, only they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened when the priest blew the trumpets that Joshua said to the people, shout for the Lord has given you the city. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction. It and all who are in it, only Rahab the harlot shall live. She and all her who are with her in the house because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take the accursed things, and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. Now, Let's talk about Israel for a minute, then we're going to talk about Jericho. So Israel, they're doing the same thing every single day. Every single day. Nothing changes. And then finally on the seventh day, they do it seven times. The same exact thing. That means seven plus six times they did the exact same thing in the exact same way and nothing happened. And, and I wonder what would have happened they didn't do the last watch. I've had enough of this. I've done it too many times. It never worked. What would have happened? The Lord gave them instructions. Now, we will never know because they were obedient and the Lord answered and the walls came down. But my question to you, Christian, is how many times do you wake up in the morning, you read your Bible and nothing happens? And then so you, you, you stop doing it. How many times do you come to church and you're like, yeah, you know. Mike can't even speak English. He doesn't even use the right English words. And then you come, you come for a few weeks, you come for a few months, you know, it's all right, but the Lord's not really speaking to you, and you're like, why am I even showing up? And you stop coming. 
And you just feel like these mundane things, these boring things, these quiet things that you're doing week after week after week, they don't amount to anything. Except for the Lord told you you should do it. Because every once in a while, you can go through the same portion of Scripture and all of a sudden the thing just jumps off the pages at you and jumps straight into your soul. Sometimes you can hear the same message even and you hear it on the radio or you hear it online or you hear it on podcast. You've heard this message before and all of a sudden it speaks to you like it never spoke before. Why? Because the Lord decided that he was going to speak at that time. Unfortunately, as Christians, at least 21st century American Christians, we think that going to the Lord is like going through the drive-thru. You pick on the menu what you want, and he gives you what you get as soon as, as soon as you order it. Or maybe in our area, like 30 minutes later and a little bit off. But that's not how the Lord works. We come to him, and we wait. And then we wait, and when he decides to have a a great awakening, to have a moving of his spirit, to have the word just grow like a fire in your heart. And yeah, he'll have us go through long seasons where it's just quiet. And we're to listen for the still, small voice. But we sit there yelling in the intercom, when are you going to show up? Are anybody in there? He's the king. He'll speak when he wants to speak. He'll move when he wants to move. And he'll tear down mountains strongholds, walls, any way that he wants. Now, let's turn to Jericho for a minute. Those poor people of Jericho, why did God do this to them? Didn't he create them in his image? Yes, he did. Yes, we're all created in God's image, but these people had become debaucherous. Debaucherous, they were diabolical. Their idol worship was demonic. And it says here, even to the nation of Israel, don't touch any of their idolatry. Don't touch any of that stuff. It, it'll become a curse to you and a snare. And that's what happens to the people of Israel because they do compromise in multiple battles. And we're going to see this in the next few weeks. So we can't be looking at them as if they're, if, as if they're innocent. They're not. God has brought judgment on them. But I have another question for you. Why didn't God just wipe them off the face of the earth like he did to Sodom and Gomorrah? Why does he just tear down the walls? Like, Lord, you tore down the walls for them. Now they have to go take the city. Like, why are you allowing them to be tempted this way? I have no idea. That's God's plan, not mine. What's my job? Carry the ark and do what the Lord says. That's my job. I have no idea. His ways are beyond my finding out. But he decided sovereignly that he was going to allow the nation of Israel to participate, that they had a part to play in this judgment. And all they had to do was obey, and they're not going to do it. At least not all of them. And I want you to imagine yourself there. Seven days you've been waiting to go, and you're finally running into that city through the through the cloud, the dust cloud that is the walls that have come down, and now you're in for a fight. But you know what they say, be careful what you wish for. As a Christian, we should say, be careful what you pray for. Oh, the Lord has you sitting now and waiting and being fed and being silent, and you just can't wait to get into the ministry. You just can't wait to start serving the Lord. Great, but when the wall comes down, 
and it's time to take the city, you're in for a fight. And you're like, Lord, can't you just take them out too and I just get all the glory? That's not how this works. We obey and we fight spiritually because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but are spiritual. So they're tearing down of strongholds. But it is still a fight. And the enemy does get a vote. And he will do his best to try and tear you down. And it's on a spiritual plane that you don't understand. You see, when we go into a fight, when, we, when the Lord allows us to partake in his battle, the spiritual plane, that is if, if we took a first century Roman and we put him in Afghanistan to fight the Taliban in the middle of the war. And, or we put him on the World War II front lines. What's he going to do? He's just going to be like, what is this? I hear this whistling from the sky. Is this bad? What are, these, what are these loud noises everywhere? has no idea. He doesn't know how the weapons work. He doesn't know that there are uh, machines of death floating in the sky. Just completely out of his depth. And that's what the Lord does when he allows us to be in a spiritual warfare. In the angelic realm. You know, we talk about spiritual warfare, about tearing down enemy strongholds. And we think two things. We think... Oh, yeah, you know, this is great. You know, the Lord's going to do this. This is awesome. I want to be a part of it. Or we think the smallest things are the real battle. Oh, I had some bad thoughts. The war is really bad. Spiritual warfare is really bad. Or we don't know what we're talking about any more than that Roman did. One angel came down and destroyed an entire fallen angel. No, excuse me. One angel of the Lord destroyed in the entire Assyrian army in one night. One of my favorite verses. They woke up dead. One angel came down and killed every single male that wasn't sanctified there in Egypt, including Pharaoh's son. One angel in his lies, the fallen angel, Lucifer, the father of all lies, through his temptation, Adam and Eve fell, and all sin, death, and suffering on the entire planet came from him. One-third of the angels fell, and they are demonic and in rebellion to God. There are some angels, fallen angels, that are now called demons, that are so demonic that God has reserved them in the pit of the earth and will not even allow them up because they would be so destructive. And, and we think, oh, the warfare is so hard. I have a couple of negative thoughts. I had some image flash in my mind. Oh, I was tempted. You have no idea what the Lord is preserving you from any given day. Unfortunately for some of us, he puts that sword in your hand and he lets you take the city and then you're, you're in a death battle. And you're like, how did this happen? What happened? What's going on? Like I said, be careful what you pray for. Be careful what you pray for. But then you just realize you're going to get out of that the same way that the stronghold came down. You're going to be quiet. You're going to carry the ark. You're going to follow the Lord's instructions. The Lord is the ultimate one. I, I mean this half facetiously and half seriously. You know those movies? The Lord puts out his hand and he says, come with me if you want to live. And then the captain of the army of the host of the Lord, he leads us and he directs us. He is our conqueror, 
He is our captain of our salvation. We follow him, and he leads us right through that. And all we have to do is whatever he says. No ifs, ands, buts about it. Jericho is in complete and total rebellion against the Lord. And he has destroyed their walls and allowed the nation of Israel to now come in, and judgment is going to be executed. And let's see what happens now in verses 23 through 27. But Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and from there bring out the woman and all that she has, as you swore to her. And the, spy, and the young men who had been spies went into and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they, brought, they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent out to spy Jericho. Then Joshua charged at them, excuse me, charged them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with its firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout all the country. The sad part is, even though we envision ourselves being the army that's conquering, that's walking around Jericho and the Lord bringing down the walls, we are in the city of Jericho today. We're in occupied territory. And if they remember that scarlet, that representation of Jesus, our households are protected by that scarlet. The Lord is going to come back and he's going to execute judgment on this planet. And only through Jesus are we preserved. And how was Jericho? Before the Lord came, they were prideful. They had trust in their fortified cities. They were living in idolatry. They were um, doing all kinds of terrible deeds and acts in this city. And I bet you they had scholars and philosophers and priests and professors saying, well, you know, this is the correct way of living. You know, homosexuality is fine. Multiple marriages, having... Uh, Different events that I don't even want to name partaking up of our city. Well, these are great things. We're an advanced city. We're, we're better than everyone else. Our false gods, we trust in them. And so it is too with us. We live in Jericho. We're not with the nation of Israel walking around the city gates. We're in occupied territory. We need to cling to that scarlet thread. That's the only thing that saved Rahab. And what else? Her faith. Her faith. And they're delivered. And we too are going to be delivered by our scarlet thread, our Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to save us and take us out when he comes and he judges the planet, which he will. Now, then we have this prophecy here that is so weird. It just, it just seems like it's out of nowhere. It's What does it say? Joshua speaks to them and says, the Lord who rises up, excuse me, cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city Jericho. He shall lay its foundations with his firstborn and with his youngest he shall see, shall set up its gates. So that means whoever tries to rebuild the city of Jericho, their children are going to die. 
when they build it. Well, in First Kings chapter 16, verse 34, this happens. Hiel, Hiel, H-I-E-L of Bethel, rebuilds Jericho, laid its foundation. Abram, his firstborn, died. And his youngest son, Segub, when he sets up the gates, he dies as well, just as Joshua, the son of Nun, had prophesied. Do you think that the Lord's in control of everything? Like, it's almost like he knows every single thing that ever will and has and is existing at any moment. It, it's almost like he's in absolute control of all things at all times. And here he is. He just shows it to us again. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, I want my nation of Israel. I want you to cross over the Jordan. I know you guys have been turned into soldiers, but I want you to just walk around the town for seven days. Then I'm going to tear those walls down just because I can. Then I want you to take the town, don't touch any of its stuff, bring all its gold and silver to the Lord to show you that I am all-powerful, all-knowing. But I'm going to take one harlot's family and save them by faith. And I'm going to make a representation of how I'm going to save all of humanity. And I'm going to teach some people 2,000, 3,000 years later and I'm going to apply this single event to their lives to go preach the gospel. How great is our God? How great is our God that this word can reach through time and space, come to us, and we can apply it to a spiritual battle that you're going through. That prayer is mighty to the tearing down of strongholds. That we are involved on a heavenly realm that we can't even possibly imagine and yet God, to his glory, allows us to partake in that. And all we have to do is be obedient to his word. All we have to do is listen to what he says, walk in it, and give him the glory for it. A miracle. Boy, it is great to follow the captain of the Lord. Boy, is it great to follow Jesus, our Savior. Man. Have you thought about how pointless every single one of our lives are? Absolutely pointless, except for the creator of the universe has placed you exactly where you are, gave his son for your salvation. And not only does he allow you to have these beautiful, wonderful moments of family and church and then growing in the Lord and reading his word. Not only does he give you an eternity in his presence, but he is using you. Whose life is but a vapor to impact the eternal and the heavenlies and the spiritual realm through prayer, through the operations of the Spirit, through faith, through His Word. How amazing it is to live with such a great God. Well, we took up much of the time through communion and for, through our reading, so we're going to have intercessory prayer again next week. So let's close in prayer. If you need prayer, though, brothers and sisters will be up here for you. Lord, so many lessons to apply. I pray that my house would be hidden by the scarlet thread, Lord. I pray that we would be covered by your grace. I pray that we would also, though, be tearing down strongholds of the enemy by faith alone in you. And that you would use us to have spiritual impact. Lord, we, there's no power in us, of course, but you've called us. You've called us and you want to use us. 
what a blessing. I pray that we're encouraged this evening, Lord. I pray that your people here would be blessed knowing that you have a great calling upon their life. And I pray that you would use them for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you. I look forward to praying with you. Like I said, brothers and sisters will be up here interceding for one another. God bless you and have a wonderful day.